My grandfather knew the discipline of maintaining something of value. You see, he was a collector and seller of antiques. His less valuable items he would fix up and put out on his front lawn to sell there, just off of Main Street in Burton, Ohio. He would always say that everything he had was for sale, but there remained a few special items of greater personal value in his garage he was always polishing and maintaining that never made it to the front lawn for sale. They were just too personally valuable for him to sell off. We all have various personal treasures like that, don't we? You know, the Bible teaches there are spiritual items of, in, that are invaluable to our Christian existence, items we never want to merely maintenance or even sell off. Of course, our exclusive identity is in Christ. If we're genuine believers, that reality of our spiritual existence is forever non-negotiable by God and certainly a benefit to us. There remain other realities of the Godhead and truths in the scriptures we would never desire to jettison. But what of maintaining the spiritual disciplines that flow from the core doctrines of our faith? These disciplines remain the pillars of maintaining what is spiritually valuable to us. So this morning I'd like to discuss this and preach this. The Lord desires us to maintenance the pillars of sustainable faithfulness. The Lord desires for us to maintenance the pillars of sustainable faithfulness. Why would we focus on such a subject at this time? There's no question in anyone's mind at this point that the world we are in is experiencing a unique once-in-a-lifetime event. We all will re-enter over the next several months our cultures. And they may even look and sound a bit different than the ones that we left in early March. The natural rhythms of life won't change, but how we go about them may. We learned last year in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that there will always be unchanging natural rhythms of life. Viruses, pandemics won't alter that. They can't alter that. But while they may always be, the way we go about them may be nuanced from time to time. Our shopping, our recreating, our traveling our working, and even our leisure time may change a bit for sure. And that's okay. Uh, We're all going to be okay. We'll be all right, regardless of the change that's coming, all by God's grace. But in the meantime, let's do our best to always remember that while some of our natural habits of life might undergo some alteration, there are some spiritual habits in our lives that should remain immutable and should never be nuanced. Of course, God never changes. By nature, he's beautiful and orderly in every way. So the Bible teaches the disciplines of maintaining faithfulness as his children should remain the same as well. Yes, moving forward over the next few months, again, we know the rhythms of our lives may be nuanced, but the virtues of faithfulness, these pillars of what it means to remain faithful are timeless. 
and we are to remain true to them by God's grace. So let's unpack a handful of these timeless spiritual virtues and the associated blessings of maintaining the pillars of faithfulness. Here's the setting of these two chapters. Joshua is about 110 years old. He's most likely been this age since chapter 13 of this book. He stands out among Old Testament Israelite leaders because he is exemplary in his personal and national faithfulness to the word of the Lord. When you consider his career before and after taking over for Moses, it's relatively spotless. He would remain for some time the most decorated and the most honored of Israel's military and spiritual heroes. Even in chapter 22, you will find a crisis narrative of what could have been a final struggle gone horrifically wrong among the 12 tribes of Israel. It could have put a blight on Joshua's storied life and career. But even in these final days of his oversight, we find Israel unified and standing on the side of God. The whole narrative of Joshua bookends with a similar refrain. You remember Joshua 1.8, don't you? This book of the law shall not depart out of my mouth. We'll meditate in it day and night. And as we do that, we shall know the good success of the Lord. Well, Joshua chapter 24 and verse 31 finishes this Old Testament narrative by reminding us that Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua and had known all the deeds of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Joshua had moved into his place of leadership governed by the word of the Lord, and he was determined to hand over the spiritual consistency with the same passionate desire to others who had watched and learned from the testimony of the Lord shown through his life. Here are a few things that are noteworthy about these final two chapters. Okay, Chapter 23 is one of two final speeches that Joshua gives to the gathered people of God. Chapter 23 is one. Chapter 24 is exactly his final speech. Historians tell us that this speech is probably given in chapter 23 from Shiloh, where the Ark of the Covenant, that is the presence of God among his people, rests. We should remember that it's a speech that primarily addresses Israel's immediate future. Joshua reminds them that they have a few more people groups to drive out of the land. And, and even though the people of God are finally settled in the land that was promised them by the Lord, their work wasn't quite finished yet. In this chapter, we'll discover together the spiritual pillars of faithfulness. Joshua desired Israel to remember as they moved forward and finished their occupation of the land flowing with milk and honey. We also want to notice in this chapter that as they look to their future, how many times in these few short verses their creator is referred to as the Lord your God. The majority of the use of this name 
in chapters 23 and 24 is found right here in the verses of chapter 23. I believe it's some 16 times in both chapters, but 13 times just in chapter 23. Why is this important? What is Joshua asking us to remember by the use of this name for God, the Lord your God? If you'll remember with me, this is the title or name of God often used in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy was the second giving of the law of God to the generation that would conquer the promised land. Well, now they're in it. It's just shy of completely being conquered. This name for the Israelite nation reminded them that their God was immutably loyal to his cause demonstrated through his people. He would keep all of his promises as they marched over the Jordan to conquer. And in this chapter and in chapter 24, Joshua is quick to remind them, either by his own tongue or by the words of the Lord rehearsed through his tongue, that God has kept every single one of his promises, even down to the most granular, often overseen aspects of his covenant promise to the nation of Israel in relationship to moving into the promised land. Now this people can look in their rearview mirror and see the complete loyalty of the Lord had demonstrated to them, and so that would give them confidence looking forward. And they can be assured that the Lord their God will remain a God who is unchanging in his commitment to his covenant people. Read with me verses 14 and 15. Joshua says in chapter 23, Now behold, today I am going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All have been fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. Verse 15 says, It shall come about that just as all the good words which the Lord your God spoke to you have come upon you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the threats until he has destroyed you from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. When you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he has commanded you, and go to serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you will perish quickly from off the good land which he has given you. So, as they move forward, Joshua wants them to think backward. As faithful as God has been to you, moving forward, we should desire to be faithful to him. Chapter 24 is the second and final speech Joshua would give to the nation he had faithfully led. And while Joshua's speech in chapter 23 was addressing Israel's needs to remain faithful in light of their immediate future of finishing wrapping up the conquering of the land flowing with milk and honey, chapter 24 addresses God's faithfulness to them in their past. We want to notice here the simple use of the covenant name for God, Lord, in this chapter. Yahweh has exclusively brought them safely thus far, and Israel had nothing to do with their success but to passively obey what God had actively done in being himself, his loyal self to them during their wilderness wandering. 
This speech is given from Shechem. And the speech is primarily offered in the form of covenant renewal. This city remained precious to the Jewish people. It was here. Both Abraham and Jacob had built altars unto the Lord at unique milestones in patriarchal Israelite history. I believe it's the only time in the book of Joshua, in the, in the Joshua narrative, where the city of Shechem is mentioned. It's right here in chapter 24. So the choosing of this city would have been another reminder to God's people of his historic covenant loyalty to them throughout their history as a nation. Again, the majority of the chapter is written in the form of a conditional covenant. In other words, if the people of God would remain faithful to their covenant-keeping God, he, by nature, will remain immutably faithful to them. There are six aspects to these ancient covenants shared by many cultures at that time. I'm going to go through these six aspects and just highlight for you the verses in which they can, these aspects can be found. We have a preamble in verse 1. That was aspect number one. There's a historic prologue. Joshua uses the words of the Lord, speaking directly to Israel in verses 2 through 13. And he outlines for them, from Abraham all the way to the present, how loyal and faithful that God has been to them. There's stipulation to the covenant outlined in verse 13. The people's response in this covenant is seen in verses 16 to 25. There has to be a witness to a covenant. The witness to the covenant is identified in verse 22. The Lord here sets up the people as their own witness to their own word. I've done this, he says. The people respond in chorus, we will follow you down to the most particular and granular aspects of your word and then Joshua says, all right, then you're witnesses to yourself. In this conditional covenant, you remember your own words, your own verbal words of loyalty. And then there's curses and blessings, as there are in any covenant of this nature. In this time in human history, and particularly in Israel, there's curses and blessings in verses 19 and 20. So a preamble, historic prologue, stipulations, people's responses, witnesses, and curses and blessings. The end of verse 1 of chapter 24 states that they assembled in Shechem before God. Many assume that because they met before God, that the Ark of the Covenant had been brought from Shiloh, where many believe the first speech in chapter 23 occurred. It's been moved from Shiloh so that the presence of God would be realized as Joshua rehearsed the Lord's goodness to them in their past. Joshua desired the people of God to know that God's faithfulness in their past was a sacred gift. A sacred gift by way of reminder and should be treasured and always remembered. So, it's abundantly clear that the Lord desires his people to know that he remains unchanging as they look to their immediate future because they can stare into their pasts and clearly see that he was always unchanging in his loyalty to keeping his promises as well. So with confidence, we can confidently face our immediate future 
of potential change that this virus has afforded us because we can look in the rearview mirror of our lives and easily recall the myriad of times the Lord has remained faithful to us in Christ Jesus. The Lord is faithful. We studied that earlier this year in 1 Thessalonians 5 and into that chapter where Paul says, he who is faithful, or literally, he is faithful who called you, who also will do it. And we're all familiar. If you've known your Bible for any certain amount of time with Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, he that has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So there remains no doubt in our minds that God is unchanging in his faithfulness to us. So we must ask, by the grace of God, how would he have us remain faithful to him as we look forward, as chapter 23 has done, to these possible new changes in our lives? Well, first of all, we need to maintain an unadulterated grasp on the word of God. As we look forward to the immediate future, Joshua's going to outline for us two imperatives here in chapter 23. And then in chapter 24, he's going to outline for us two more imperatives as we move forward, but take a look into our past and remind ourselves of God's faithfulness in the past that gives us good confidence to move forward. So four imperatives overall. The first imperative, if you look in verse 6, has already been stated. We need an unadulterated grasp on the Word of God. He says here in verse 6, Be very firm then to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, so that you may not turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. Let's go back, if you would, to the final words of Moses, who handed the baton to Joshua before going into the promised land. If you'll take your Bibles, let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 31 together. Deuteronomy chapter 31, as we're looking at Joshua's last statements or last speeches, let's consider the last speech of Moses. Now, I'm going to read these verses. It might take about two minutes, but I think it's worth going back in history here a bit to consider Moses' unadulterated grasp of the Word of God and his adherence to it. Verse 1 says, So Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel, and he said to them, I am 120 years old today, I am no longer able to come and to go. And the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross this Jordan. It is the Lord your God who will cross ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you and you shall dispossess them. Joshua is the one who will cross ahead of you just as the Lord has spoken. The Lord will do to them just as he did to Sion of Og and the kings of the Amorites to their land where he destroyed them. The Lord will deliver them up before you, and you, shall, and you shall do to them according to all the commandments which I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you. 
Then Moses called to Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them. And you shall give it to them as an inheritance. The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you. Do not fear, be dismayed. So Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. Then Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the time of the year of the remission of debts at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place which he will choose, you shall read this law in front of all of Israel for their hearing. Assemble the people, the men, the women, the children, and the alien who is in your town, so that they may hear and learn and fear the Lord your God, and be careful to observe all the words of this law. Their children who have not known will hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live on the land which you're about to cross over Jordan to possess. These kind of sub-narratives, the narratives of Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law and, and the book of Joshua remind me of New Testament passages like 1 Thessalonians 2.13 where the Apostle Paul was thankful to the Thessalonian believers for receiving or embracing the word of the Lord, not as it was indeed the word of men, but there was a divine exclusivity to it, right? And as they received it and practiced it, Paul said that they knew what it meant to be blessed in their deed. It reminds me very much of James chapter 1 and verse 25, if you're a newer believer. James encourages the believers there to not just be faithful hearers, but doers of the word, so that they might know what it means to be blessed in their deed. The Lord Jesus Christ knew in his high priestly prayer shortly before his death that the word of God would forever remain the, the cleansing agent of the Christian soul when he says there, Lord, sanctify them by thy truth because thy word is truth. It reminds me of not just a personal um, Adherence to this, but there was to be a public adherence to this in the New Testament where Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.13, give public attention to the, to the reading of God's word. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 4, right? Preach the word and be instant in season and out of season. Preach it when it's popular. Preach it when it's not. With all long suffering and doctrine, reprove, rebuke, exhort, right? All of it. All the revealed truth of God is to be adhered to in an unadulterated way for the people of God. He says here, be very firm. We saw back in Deuteronomy chapter 31, similar words in the Hebrew language, different in the English. Be very strong, right? Sounds like Joshua 1 too, doesn't it? Be very strong to follow and obey the word of the Lord. God's word will forever remain our spiritual cleansing, sanctifying agent. And this text speaks to the sufficiency of Scripture and its eternal reliability to instruct us in all the things pertaining to the life and godliness of this second generation of Israelites 
post-Egyptian captivity who were already in the land adhere, cling. I find it interesting that the immediate fruit of adhering in an unadulterated way to the word of God is found here in verse 11. Would you read with me back in Joshua chapter 23 and verse 11? Why are we doing this? So that we could take diligent heed to yourselves to love the Lord your God. How does the Apostle John in 2 John 6 describe love? He says, this is love in that you have kept my commandments. This is a very objective love. God's word has been inspired. It's been written. The record's been preserved for our learning of how faithful he's been to us as we step forward into these next phases of our lives, individually, locally, nationally, and globally, whatever they may look like, cling in an unadulterated way to the word of God, which is demonstrated which is demonstrated in how we love God by how we live for God. So looking to our future, adhering to God's word, and learning to love him, we will maintain our second directive, our second pillar of faithfulness found here in chapter 23, a holy distinction in our life and practice. An unadulterated grasp of the word of God will lead to a holy distinction in our life and practice. Verses 12 and 13 uh, describe for us that exclusive love for God will not be love like this. For if you are to ever go back and cling to the rest of these nations, these which remain among you and intermarry with them, so that you associate with them and they with you, Know with certainty that the Lord your God will not continue to drive these nations out from before you. But they will be a snare. I've underlined that in my Bible. And they will be a trap. Underline there. And a whip. There's a third. And, and, and to your sides, thorns. To your sides and thorns to your eyes. There's a fourth. Until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God has faithfully given to you. A holy distinction in our life and practice. A warning is sounded here about uniting with those who are not loyal to God. There is no greater visual picture of loyal love than is seen in marriage. Many a compromise has been made in marriage and too many wrong compromises have been made in the same. So the Lord warns Israel about uniting with other people groups in marriage here. Why? Well, we saw the answer in verse 16. To marry them is to be wed to their gods. And their gods are not the Lord your God, who's been faithfully loyal to you. And to marry them is to serve their gods. And it is not to replicate the loyal love of Yahweh in your life. So as we move forward, fidelity to Bible doctrine and practice must remain the hallmark of our existence as a church, no matter what our, what our world looks like coming out of this pandemic. 
holy distinction. We often say here in the context of our own worship, you'll hear me say, and, and part of what I say is derived from texts like this. When we gather together to worship, we worship as a people of God. And the sound and content of what people hear when they come among us as the people of God to worship should be um, unfamiliar at best to their ears, to their minds, and to their hearts. I think there's a unique distinction of the love of the people of God to God because of the love he's had for them and then the love of the people of God to one another that the world cannot put a pulse. It cannot take a pulse of that love. That's why Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, by how you love one another. There is a, a uniqueness, a distinction, a reverence about all that the Lord our God has been to us and all that he is to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It applies to the worshipful way that we live our lives because our whole life, right? Romans 12, 1 and 2 is a sacrifice of worship. It's a living sacrifice. This reverence and this distinction that's demonstrated through us by the grace of God in Christ is nothing more than looking in a mirror of the Lord our God himself. And replicating as best as we can, by grace, his character in our lives, in every part of our lives. Not just when we're together, but as we get up and as we walk by the way and as we lie down unadulterated grasp of the word of God which gives way to living holy, distinct, and reverent lives. So as we move forward and have considered two windshield activities that we are to adhere to in chapter 23 in relationship to our immediate future, let's consider our rear view mirror as we close this morning by briefly concentrating on two more. We need to remain undistracted in our service to the Lord. We're moving now into chapter 24, the second speech given from Shechem. Remember, this is a speech of covenant renewal. We explain the six aspects of this conditional covenant at that time. As Joshua rehearses God's faithfulness to them in the past, as we saw in, in, in chapter 24, verses 2 through 13, right, the testimony of the past, coming out of that testimony of the past, what is to be our present how are we to show our appreciation, if you will, for God's covenant loyalty to us and his faithfulness to us in the past? On your own time, finger your way through these verses, and you'll see the word serve, verses 14 to 28. You'll see the word serve as a major theme of chapter 24. You'll find it upwards of 10 times in the remainder of the chapter. This is what God's people do to demonstrate their thanks to him for his loyalty to them. This is where we are reminded of the faithful words of Joshua and his household in verse 15. You remember that? Go with me there. Verse 15. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which, are your, which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, 
or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, having again taken a look at the faithfulness of the Lord in the rearview mirror, what will we do? We cannot help ourselves but to be compulsed, compelled by grace to serve the Lord. This is what God's people do to demonstrate their thanks to him for his loyalty to them. This is where we are reminded of the faithful words of Joshua over and over again through the rest of the chapter. And since the word of God is all of ours, and since living distinct reverent lives are all of ours to live, so serving the Lord remains the most significant way to maintenance faithfulness. How do we serve in our context? Well, if you consider Israel's history, they were applying God's word to their lives in different ways all the time. These pillars of faithfulness remain immutable, unchanged, and we maintenance them. But the way we demonstrate these, uh, this pillar of faithfulness and service may change. And so we will too. Coming out of this unique time, regardless how you want to define it or learn from it, conditions may be different. But the way the Lord gifted you to serve is not. Many of us have been doing our best to utilize our spiritual gifts to the benefit of the congregation of God and of the glory of God during quarantine. And my goodness, I, I praise God for that. Um, so many of you have been doing that and um, all by God's grace. So, right, glory to God. Some still may be wondering how to do that. Some may have been wondering how to utilize their gift to serve the Lord before quarantine. And it's even more of a wonderment to them now. Some may feel as spiritually quarantined as they have been physically. Well, let's learn together how to move forward and show in our lives God is faithfulness to us, or God has been faithfulness to us, faithful to us in the past. I want you to call me. I want you to call one of the pastors or ministry leaders here at Grace. Maybe call the person who's studying God's word and spiritually mentoring to you. And let's work together about getting back in the game, so to speak, or maybe getting in the service game for the first time in ministry service. What if we come back and your previous area of ministry is no longer available because of the changes that the virus has brought? Will there be another area of ministry for you? Scripturally, yes, we will. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will find a way together according to what I just stated a minute ago. There are literally hundreds of ways for all of us to serve and to serve the Lord together. And when we look in a mirror, we see our own reflection. But when people see us, they need to see God being faithful through us in the way that we serve. So again, looking back at the faithfulness of God, we can find our way to being faithful in service to demonstrate God's faithfulness to us and through us. And finally, as the Lord has boldly proven his faithfulness to us in the past, we can, the fourth pillar that needs to be maintenance is confidence. We can confidently trust him to allow us to provide an example of faithfulness to the next generation. Let's read verses 27 to 31 as we conclude here this morning of chapter 24. Joshua said to all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness against us. 
for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. Thus it shall be for a witness against you, so that you do not deny the Lord your God, or do you, you do not deny God. Then Joshua dismissed the people, each to his own inheritance. And it came about after those days that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in the territory of his inheritance in Timnath Sarah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gosh. Israel, verse 31, here it is. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua and had known all the deeds. Sounds like the end of Deuteronomy 31, doesn't it? Moses' speech there. All the deeds of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Joshua here is facing death confidently. And he demonstrates that confidence by creating a monument. And by the way, similar to, this would have been the third monument that we know of scripturally, uh, Abraham, Jacob, now Joshua. And that monument was to remain a witness. That monument, that inanimate object, really, uh, Joshua gives life to that inanimate object. That monument that's not going to be moved has heard all and has been witness to the witness of the people that they would serve the Lord. And Joshua is saying, I can confidently go to my rest now because I know the testimony of the Lord is with you and is working through you. As we've already read, the leaders that outlived Joshua continued to leave the example for the next generation until they breathed their last. They did so by continually recounting the faithfulness of the Lord to them in the past. Can I ask you this, as their spiritual descendants, if you will, the spiritual descendants as children, spiritual children of Abraham, how often do we recount the faithfulness of the Lord to us personally? and then domestically in our homes and ecclesiastically as a church. I know we remain thankful, but what about rehearsing the past? Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians, right? 10, we must learn from the past. We must remember the past. Not only the things that were done inappropriately, but my goodness, let's spend most of our time rehearsing how God has been faithful to us. Would you do that with your, uh, with your own devotional time? Would you do that with your family this week? Would you sit and recount the myriad of ways that God has been faithful to you? In so doing, you're demonstrating a confidence. You're, you're providing, if you will, a confident way for your children and their children's children to move forward, always relying upon the faithfulness of God in their lives, right? Reminds us of the value of a personal testimony, doesn't it? But as we go to prayer this morning, let's always remember this too. While we've highlighted four ways we can remain faithful, as we have seek to maintenance these pillars of faithfulness, whether we are obedient to the Lord in light of our immediate future, or whether we're using the past, the loyalty of God to us in our past to prepare us, to move forward. Yeah. 
Joshua had gathered the family of God around to hear him. And in doing so, he spoke as he spoke. He hid himself and exalted God. You know, living life is never, never about leaving your legacy. It's about leaving God's. We just remain faithful. There are 40-some different names for Yahweh or for God in these two chapters alone. Joshua does that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to hide himself behind the Lord. His life is lived. He persevered with a godlike humility while he followed Moses, when he took over from Moses, all during the possession of the promised land, and even in his dying day, breathing his last, it's about God and his faithfulness, and never about my legacy, never about what I can leave. And he confidently heads to his death, knowing that even though he's gone, God remains loyal to himself, loyal to his cause, and loyal to his people who march forward unto his cause. And for us, that's just a reminder of Matthew 28, 19, and 20, right? We are promised as we go into the world and make disciples that he will be with us unto the end of the age. So we go forward this morning, regardless how the immediate future looks, maintenancing these four pillars of faithfulness together. Together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. Thank you so much for these pillars of faithfulness detailed for us by Joshua, who found in his own strength the ability to do them only through the strength that God gave him. Lord, we so love his humility that really he has no strength unless the Lord grants it. Pray, Lord, moving forward that we would know that continued dependence upon God in Christ and that continued adherence to his word, to living distinct and reverent lives, to service, and to confidence in knowing any legacy that's left is going to be the legacy of our God and not the legacy of ourselves. To God be the glory, great things he's done. In Christ's name we pray, amen.